You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Hallelujah. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Lord, we sing hallelujah to you. Praise the Lord for the Lamb has overcome. This is the victory, God. Thank you. Thank you that the Lamb who was slain is risen from the dead and is the triumphant Lion of Judah. Thank you, Lord, that you have made us citizens of the kingdom. And we know and we praise you for our King, Jesus Christ, has ascended to your right hand. And his name is above every name in this age and in the age to come. Hallelujah to you. We praise you, Father. And we offer this praise to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Welcome, church. Please take your seats. Join with me in the scriptures in Psalm 111. Psalm chapter 111. Pastor Paul has been making... Uh, his way through Romania. He was in Arad last week uh, offering training for uh, church planters in uh, Europe. And this morning, what was this morning for us, at 3 a.m., he was preaching um, at their um, Easter Sunday service out in Romania. It's, Easter's a little bit different timeline uh, out there. Uh, but today, uh, since he is gone, we have the privilege of looking into the scriptures in, in Psalm 111. Uh, I've noticed in my own life and in this world that we live in, uh, some of the most effective ways that offer the mo- us the most compelling motivations to engage in any experience in life is trends. Trends can offer some of the most compelling motivations to engage or disengage from anything. Maybe you're trying to get into the housing market right now. Man, you you have a compelling motivation not to buy in Markham. Maybe to go north or to go east and suck it up and get a longer commute, but there are compelling motivations maybe in post-secondary education and you look at the labor force and there's excess people in uh, white collar jobs. Maybe it's time to go to college and learn a trade rather than a university to get a liberal arts degree. There are compelling motivations and trends in everything. Maybe there are compelling motivations for you to, to really be proud uh, that you're in the GTA right now with a uh, team in the playoffs and another team doing well in the MLB and an internationally renowned uh, hip-hop artist um, really supporting the city. Maybe the trends say it's good time to live in the GTA. Um, what do the trends say about the church right now, though? What does the moral climate say and motivate about the way we should practice our faith. No, actually, I've noticed that really the trends in our moral climate and in our culture really push the church in two directions. And both of them can be away from what God wants for us. The trends in the moral climate that make it really antagonistic towards 
uh, the Christian faith maybe motivate you to say, oh, I think I'm just gonna prefer to, to practice my own personal religion. I'm not gonna force what I believe on anyone. And I'm not gonna ask, I'm not gonna do any more than the smallest amounts. I'm not gonna do anything that's demanding. I'm not gonna come out to a prayer meeting at 6 p.m. when there's a Raptors game at 8 p.m. And you know, the, the other end of that though is, well, I still wanna hold on to my distinctives. I don't wanna be proud of a Christian, but I see that the distinctives of the faith aren't really appreciated in our culture, so I'm gonna evolve with the culture. I'm gonna make the message more palatable and not talk about sin and What is the compelling motivation that the church has that transcends our culture's trends that can really motivate us to join into true gospel work? This is what we're considering today. How can we join into God's work? And there are a lot of passages throughout all of scripture that we could go to to answer this question, but as I was studying the scriptures, I found a compelling motivation for the church in Psalm 111. If the church is to join into God's work, what must we do? And I believe that Psalm 111 will offer you today two compelling motivations to join into God's work. So understanding that this is the landscape before us, this is where we're going, please stand with me in honor of God's word as we read Psalm 111 together. This is God's word. It speaks to us today and it says, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and all those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Church, let's pray to our Lord. Father, thank you that we can join in to worship with the psalmist who wrote this song. Lord, as he remembered what you have done, and as he saw what they must do, Lord, Lord, help us to remember what you have done and give us eyes to see what we must do. I remember that the Lord Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. 
Father, make us not hearers only, but doers of this word, that we might find the blessing as the called and redeemed people of God. We praise you, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. If the church is to join into God's work, what must we do? Two compelling motivations. If you're taking notes, write this one down. If the church is to join into God's work, we must celebrate what God has done. If the church is to join into God's work, we must celebrate what God has done. This psalm is first a call to worship. It's presented as a beautifully, artistically crafted acrostic poem. We can't see this in English, but as it's read in Hebrew, each successive line of this poem um, begins with the next successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's a beautiful poem, and it was designed to be sung by an individual who invited, uh, who would be inviting everyone who heard him sing to join into worship with him. Now, art has always merited a different response than maybe like discourse or prose. Or for instance, um, when I turn on 680 News or when I read the Toronto Star, my first response isn't generally emotional. It's generally like analytical or logical. I want to understand what you are telling me and process this information. But something different happens when you're listening to the radio and maybe you turn from the news and like your favorite song comes on, your first response isn't analytical or logical. It's generally like emotional. You, you start tapping your foot or bobbing along and maybe singing along and it, it evokes feeling uh, from you. Now, we are going to appropriately analyze this psalm. We need to because it was written uh, from a people different from us and a time different from us, but it has meaning for us today and significance for us today. So we're gonna understand what it meant for them, how that meaning is significant for us, but in this analytical process, don't lose the primary purpose that we are engaging here through this psalm. You are being invited to worship the living God in spirit and in truth. If we're gonna uh, join into God's work, we must celebrate God for what he has done. We are being called to worship. Mark, I need your help, okay? Did you, like me, watch like Disney animated movies when you were a kid? Yes, good, okay, I did too. Was there any that you liked in particular that was more of your favorite? Beauty and the Beast. Hey, I love Beauty and the Beast. My, I, I think one of my more favorites as a kid was actually, it was the Lion King. You know, really liked that. And that was a story, right? When we read this psalm, you're going to see how the psalmist is going to be referring and speaking of the story of human history and at what point he is at in this story. So Mark, I need your help, okay? As we read through this psalm, verse two to verse seven, I need you to count how many times the word work or works appears, okay? We're gonna read verse two to verse seven. You can count along with them, okay? Verse two, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. 
Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. Okay, Mark, how many did you count? Five. I got five too. Did you guys get five also? Right, okay, so when you read scripture, understand that if you see repetition, that generally means emphasis, okay? What we're being invited into worship here, what the psalmist is celebrating is he is celebrating God for what he has done. And what God has done is God has worked to faithfully keep and fulfill his covenants. A covenant is, you're going to learn something. All right? I learned a lot as I studied this this past week. A covenant is essentially an agreement between God and man. When God determined to bless a people that he chose, he would create a contractual agreement with them, demonstrating what they were obliged to do and what he promised to accomplish. And that contractual agreement defined the terms of a relationship between God and man. You see this covenant language evident in Adam and Eve and Moses and and Noah before that with Abraham and his family, with David and his offspring. Understand this church, the scripture is the true recollection of God's engagement with human history leading towards a final resolution. Mark, you said you're, you like Beauty and the Beast growing up, right? I like Lion King, right? All narrative, all classic narrative storytelling follows like this narrative arc. Maybe you remember seeing a picture of this graph in like English lit and maybe ninth grade or something like that. Do you remember that? In all stories, it starts with like an exposition explaining this world and then there's like a crisis, some kind of incident that upsets the order. And then there's the, the rising action, events that lead to a climax. You guys remember this, right? And then there's the falling action, always leading to the final resolution, right? You like Beauty and the Beast. I like Lion King, right? So this narrative arc is indicative in that story, like all classic storytelling. Sorry if you haven't seen Lion King. I'm going to give some spoilers. You'll get over it. We all know this is, we are introduced to this world where there's a king and a new baby prince, but then we see that there's a jealous son, Scar, right, who um, wants to upset the order and gain kingship, so the, the crisis happens, and Mufasa dies. And Scar convinces the rightful king to run away. And where there was good order, injustice and oppression came in. And the whole story want, urges us, when's the king, true king gonna come back? When is order gonna be restored? Okay, that's fiction, we know that, right? But the scriptures is the true recollection of God's engagement with human history and the covenants mark new chapters in the story leading towards the final resolution. 
You see, God created a world that was good with peace and justice and we had harmony with God and he invited us into covenant with him but Adam and Eve chose to reject the terms of the covenant because they wanted autonomy. The Bible calls their rejection sin. This is the crisis that has affected all of humanity for all of time. And if you were there, if I was there, we would have made the same decision. Because of sin, humanity is cursed. Harmony with God is broken. And this world is subject to futility. But God has not been some passive, blind watchmaker creating the world and sitting back and letting humanity order everything. God has actively been engaging with humanity working through his covenants to bring us to the final resolution, the final resolution where we would be reunited to the presence of God, where the curse of sin is removed and where all things stained by sin are restored back to the good design by which God created it with. That's the final resolution. But church, you are a part of the story too. See, the covenant that the psalmist has in mind was specifically the Mosaic covenant. Look at verse four to six, okay? Verse four to six, it says, he has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Now for an Israelite who would have heard this back when this psalm was first written, those words, the Lord is gracious and merciful would have uh, brought to memory Exodus 34 where God made covenant with the nation of Israel after bringing them out of slavery in Egypt, he wanted and determined to bless them as his chosen people. Verse five, he provides food for those who fear him. He remembers covenant forever. The Israelites would have heard that and remembered, yes, God brought our people through the wilderness and gave us food raining from heaven every day. Verse six, he has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. An Israelite would remember, yes, he brought us out of Egypt through the, the wilderness and brought us to the land of promise and gave us a nation as inheritance. Now the Mosaic covenant marked a new chapter for Israel. The cross of Jesus Christ marks the new chapter and the climax of the entire narrative of human history. And it includes us into this story. The night before Jesus died, he said this, Matthew 26, verse 26 to 29. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom." God has always been working to faithfully keep his covenants and lead humanity to the final resolution to remove the curse of sin, reunite us with his presence, and restore all things to his kingdom. 
And the cross is the climax of that. Are you a part of God's story? If you have been born again, you have reason to worship. And God is inviting you to celebrate him today. There's a time for sober reflection and understanding, but there's also a time for celebration. Great is the gospel. Great is the blood of Jesus Christ, church. You can celebrate. Celebrate now. Clap your hands. Lift your voice. Our God is great and greatly to be praised. Amen. Amen. Listen. Listen to the great working of the gospel. It says in Ephesians 1, the, it is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us to believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, praise the Lord, and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, not only in this age, praise the Lord, but in the age to come. And if you have been born again, you were a part of this narrative and you have a reason to worship. But maybe you're here at church today and you have nagging questions about life, about death, about what might come afterwards, about Christianity, about Jesus, and you need to know this then. The one who has not been born again has no part in God's kingdom. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you recognize that you are stained by the curse of sin, and unless you believe that it's only through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that you can be forgiven, you have no right to the kingdom. You have no more right to the kingdom than a fan at the Rogers Center who jumps the stands and runs to the field has a right to play in the game. And you know what's gonna be happening when he jumps in? Security's taking him right out. But if you acknowledge you have broken God's law, if you believe that Jesus died in your place, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You will be born again into new life. You will be reunited to God's presence because sin and its curse will be removed and God will begin the restoring work of the kingdom in your life. If we are to join into God's work, we must celebrate what God has done and not merely in these walls when the music builds in the quiet and in the stillness. And when every mouth has shut, will your mouth open in praise? If we are to join into God's work, then we must celebrate what God has done. But then here's another compelling motivation. If we are to join into God's work, then we must participate in what God is doing. If you're taking notes, write that down. If, we are, if you will join into God's work, then we must participate in what God is doing. Because you see, this psalm is not only a call to worship, 
but it is a call to action. I'm going to read verse 7 to verse 10. Please follow along with me in your Bible. And I want you to notice how the psalmist's language expands from not only describing God's work, but also describing our responsibility. Let's look and see how this expands into our responsibility in verse 7. It says, The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Did you see the way that the psalmist's description expands? It begins to also show our responsibility. Part of God's work is giving his people, his precepts, his commandments. And our responsibility is to practice and to perform these precepts. God's precepts are his commandments, right? It's, it's all in the scriptures and it's his comprehensive instruction for the entire human experience that was given to us for our good and for his glory. Do you know that about God's word? It is the comprehensive divine revelation instructing us for all of human experience. And understand this, if we are to join into God's work, then the link that connects us is God's word. The word of God is the link that connects us to the work of God so that we can participate in seeing our own lives and our world restored to God's kingdom. That is our work. We must be connected to God's word in the same way that as a fetus is connected to, with an umbilical cord to its mother. There is no life without it. We must be connected to God's word in the same way that an infant is nourished by its mother's milk. It will not grow without it. That's probably why the, the apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 2 verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. God's word is the link that connects us to God's work so that we can participate in the restoration of our own lives and of our world to God's good design, to God's kingdom. In verse 7 to 10, the psalmist shows four approaches, four attitudes that we need to have when we approach God's word. Let's consider these, starting at verse 7. It says in verse 7, the works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. Church, know that you can trust this book and its commands for your life cover to cover. 
you can trust God's word. The scripture is not burdensome. God gave you these instructions for your good. It's not abstract theological theory that you need to pass through some academic realm to understand. The scripture says that it is near to you so that you can do it. And you can trust that God gave it to you for your good. God's word is trustworthy. Not only this, verse eight, it says, they, the precepts, are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. God's word is not only trustworthy, it's relevant and significant today. Just as much as it was for your parents' generation, just as much as it was for the people of Israel, just as much as it will be for every generation that follows until Christ returns. God's word is enough for your walk with him today. God's word is trustworthy. It's significant and relevant. Verse eight, it says also it is to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. Listen, church, obedience has never been a mean for gains. Godliness is never a means for gain. What's your motivation to obey scripture? Is it to please someone? Is it to earn something? This psalm is a psalm of worship. With a heart of thanksgiving, we should obey God's word to be connected in his work with a heart that is faithful, not double-minded, with a heart that is upright and pure, not selfishly motivated. Approach God's word with faithfulness and uprightness. It's trustworthy, it's significant. And then this, verse 10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. God's word is his comprehensive instruction for all of human experience, but let's be honest. I've never read a passage of scripture that references marijuana, but it's probably gonna be legal or decriminalized in this country in 14 to 16 months. God's word might not directly reference marijuana or video games, but God's word is sufficient to instruct us in every aspect of the human experience when we have wisdom. And wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord. Acknowledge, church, that God wants you to be holy as he is holy. And in the fear of God, we will have the wisdom to apply all of God's word to all of our life so that we can join into his work. Pretty simply though, how can we be connected to God's work through his word if we're not reading it? If we're not letting God's word dwell in our hearts richly? If you're not reading something in scripture right now, I would encourage you today to start. Start today. Start reading one chapter a day in scripture and start with Matthew the gospel according to Matthew. And next Sunday, if you read one chapter a day, you'll get to Matthew chapter seven. 
And you'll understand then what Jesus says about his word. He says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 and 25. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Do you want a sure foundation for your life and how to live? Build it on scripture. It's trustworthy. It's relevant. Do it with an upright heart, and do it with wisdom. If we're going to join into God's work, then we must celebrate what he has done and what we must participate in what he's doing. And remember, church, if you've been born again, you are a part of the story. And God is bringing us to the final resolution where he would reunite us to his presence forever where the sin, cur- sin and its curse is removed and where all things are restored unto God's kingdom. And God is inviting you into this restoring work now. This is the work that you are being invited to join into now. This is a compelling motivation that we have today. God is restoring his kingdom He's restoring it in your life. He wants to restore all things. And he has chosen that in the power of the Holy Spirit, his church is the agency by which it will be accomplished. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, Harvest Bible Chapel Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. You are being invited to join into God's work as we are connected to his word and see the restoration of the kingdom come to our lives, into our community. Do you know what happens when we join into God's restoring work? Do you know what happens when we say yes to doing unto others as we would have others do unto us? Do you know what happens when we say yes to giving to the poor? Do you know what happens when we say yes to sacrificing our time? Do you know what happens when we say yes to obedience? The power of sin and oppression and injustice and merciless and fear and doubt, those are expelled and the power of the kingdom stands firm. Justice and mercy and hope and love. Does God have your yes to his kingdom work today?
I was able to go to Haiti in, Haiti in 2010, a month after that devastating earthquake happened. I was in my third year of university at the time, and um, my family has been serving through orphanage ministries in Haiti for a while. And when they, I heard that it happened, and I learned that there was a, um, a club on campus made up of Caribbean students concerned with social justice, and I heard they were going, uh, I, I, I went with them. And we had the opportunity to feed uh, the poor and also to be able to host a pastor's conference for, for Haitian pastors. We were all like 19, 20, 21, but God chose to use young, weak people to do great things. Now, um, interestingly, when uh, we went, I, uh, and the night before the pastor's conference, uh, our team leader came up to us and she's like, guys, I got some bad news. Um, uh, one of the pastors who's our keynote speaker um, isn't gonna be in, able to make it and, and we need another speaker. And everyone in the, on the team knows, like, this is the guy who's in the religious degree taking the preaching classes. So all the eyes are like, and I wish I could stand here and say that my reaction was yes, but it wasn't. I don't know why, maybe it was a false sense of piety, maybe it was fear, but I said no. And then the next reaction was really interesting. As soon as they said no, another guy on our team who was like, he was like this, just a clown, just didn't take things seriously. And he just was like, I'll do it. And the team was like, all right, great. And then me, I'm just like, uh, they asked me first and I'm the one in the religious degree. Who are you? And self-righteousness and jealousy built up. But then God just broke me and just like, why did you say no? And I thought about it for a while, went off by myself, and, and I was so broken. I was reading a book that had a quote that said, if Jesus Christ is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. And I realized, how could I say no to my Lord? So I resolved that Next time, I would not have a no on the table. I resolved that God already had my yes. Then the guy who was, who was gonna speak came up to me and was like, Jason, I have no idea what I'm doing, can you help me? I was like, yeah, sure, and I was really glad to. And about an hour later, guess what happened? The team leader came in and was like, oh, guys, I got some bad news again. Our next keynote speaker isn't gonna be able to make it. And God already had my yes. Does God have your yes to join into his work today? If we are going to join into God's work, we need to join into God's word and he wants your yes. But are you walling him out? See, God wants to restore every aspect of the human experience. But we can wall God out it's remarkable how words change over time. Believe it or not, when I was in high school, I was really into hip-hop culture. Kid from Stovall had all of the, all of the, all of the CDs. And um, one of my more favorite artists had a song called Ghetto Gospel. And that word ghetto, especially in the 90s in hip-hop culture, was really um, uh, weaved into uh, the genre in so many ways. And when 
um, hip-hop artists talked about the ghetto, they were generally referring to low-income areas, racially segregated, generally where a lot of gang violence happened, right? Um, interestingly, that word ghetto existed hundreds of years before uh, hip-hop culture um, took it for their own. I, I read this on NPR.org this past week, talking about the origins of this word. It says, in the 16th and 17th centuries, cities like Venice, Frankfurt, Prague, and Rome forcibly segregated their Jewish populations, often walling them off and submitting them to onerous restrictions. Those were the ghettos, and that's when that first word came up. By the 19th century, these ghettos had been steadily dismantled, but instead of vanishing from history, ghettos reappeared with a purpose more ominous than segregation under the Nazi regime. German forces established ghettos in over thousands of cities across Europe. I do this. You do this. We create spiritual ghettos in our human experience and try to segregate aspects of our life away from God's authority to keep it under our control, wall him out so that we can enjoy our sin. But if we're going to join into God's work, then we need to realize that the restoring power of the kingdom isn't just for your soul, it is for all things in the human experience. And God not only wants to restore your experience back to the way he designed it with justice and mercy and love and peace and goodness, he wants to restore our world. What are you walling off from God? Is it your education, your job, your sport? It's okay, I got this, God. I don't want your control here. Is it entertainment, like movies and music? Is it your browser history, your friendships, your love life, your sexuality, your wardrobe, your time, your words, Church, in the power of the Holy Spirit, God is intent on restoring every aspect of your human experience back to the good way that he designed it. Removing the curse of sin, reuniting us to his presence, restoring us to his kingdom purposes. And God not only wants to do it in your life, God has determined that the church, through the power of the Holy Spirit, are his agents to do this work. Does God have your yes today? Put it on the table and watch your light shine. You were the salt of the earth but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. 
A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor would people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If the church is to join into God's work, then we must celebrate what God has done and we must join and participate in what God is doing. He is restoring our lives and our world to his kingdom. And our connection to join in is obedience to his word and submission to the authority of his lordship. Church, let us give God our yes to this work today. Please stand and pray with me. Father, thank you for the city, Markham. This generation is, uh, you know it way more than I could know it or any of us could know it, but this generation is really facing things that humanity has never experienced or at least not experienced for centuries. Yet, Lord, we believe, we believe that you are still working and that you are still working towards that final resolution to establish your eternal, unmatched kingdom. You have dominion from sea to sea. God, thank you that we today need not fear the trends of our culture. Thank you that in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can join into your work. And we ourselves can be restored from the grip of sin to experience peace and joy and justice and mercy. And thank you that we can say yes to evangelism and yes to prayer and yes to holiness and yes to generosity. Father, motivate us to join in this work. Thank you that we can celebrate what you've done and participate in what you are doing. Hallelujah to you, Lord of hosts. To you and you alone, not to us. To your name be the glory. For the sake of your steadfast love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.